one of the challenges or problems with retreats is uh, the rarefied experience that it can be. Especially when retreats are done uh, mostly in silence. We don't get the interactive or relational aspect that uh, Buddhism is so much about, how we relate to each other, to ourselves. This retreat is different, I think. I hope it's been different because there's been so much interaction, because it's been so uh, integrated. At this point in a retreat, we would usually start integration. Maybe since we've been pretty integrated the whole time, maybe we should stop integration. <laughs> Go into disintegration. I hope that that's been your experience. I see some nods. I hope that you feel like uh, this has been a somewhat realistic experience, like reality, like, like was asked earlier about how do you do this in daily life? Not so different than you've been doing it here. You take some quiet time each day, some meditation time. Not that maybe you could actually be silent until lunch. Most of us in our lives <laughs> couldn't actually do that. But even just that half hour or 45 minutes in the morning of a period of silence each day before going into our day, before checking our emails, before reading books, before turning on the television or the radio or whatever it is that we like to entertain and distract and educate ourselves with. And then as we've been doing here, bringing our, uh, our whole selves and uh, in the appropriate circumstances, telling the truth to each other. It's why spiritual community is so, so important. Because we do live in a world where it is unfortunately rare to have this kind of intimacy. To be able to tell the truth about our suffering. And not be uh, judged. And not be received in some sort of uh, strange way where people think, that there's something wrong with us. So as well as daily practice, and, and those of us in, in the rooms, in recovery, know this fellowship. The Buddha talked about the importance of spiritual friendships, of having wise friends. At one point, Ananda, who is the, uh, 
Buddha's nephew, I believe, or cousin. Cousin? Yeah. And, um, and his attendant, he, he come, becomes a monk and he becomes, and he's the one that's sort of with the Buddha the most. And he's presented in the teachings as a little bit slow. Like everyone else is getting enlightened, but Ananda doesn't quite get it a lot of the time. The Buddha's always sort of uh, correcting Ananda. At one point, Ananda comes to the Buddha and he says, Oh, I finally get it. This uh, Sangha, association with the wise, fellowship, spiritual community, is 50% of our practice. It's half of our spiritual life is how we relate to each other and, and being in gatherings of wise beings. Cultivating those communities and spending time with each other. And the Buddha said, not so, Ananda. It is not 50%. He said, spiritual friendship, wise friendship, is 100% of the spiritual life. More than half. All of it. The spiritual awakening that we have, uh, that we're seeking, that we're uncovering or recovering, is a relational one. It's not to an isolated one. It's not about becoming calm and peaceful in a cave. Or even on a retreat. Although some time in a cave or some time on a retreat can be very helpful. But that's not the point. The point is living it in our relationships. And so that every interaction becomes spiritual practice. And we've spoken some this week about appropriate, right? What, what self do we bring to the conversation and being appropriate? And not so wise to talk to the checker at the bank about karma. <laughs> Somebody in one of the small groups said that she realized she wasn't doing that when uh, she was at somewhere, the Forget the grocery store somewhere. Circuit City. Circuit City at the electronic store. And she said, she started to talk to the clerk about being an incest survivor. <laughs> Getting a little too comfortable. Right? And, and it's actually not, um, not kind. Because people don't know how to handle that that aren't on the path. Right? Freak them out. If we start talking about some of the deeper, we have appropriate places, gatherings, <coughs> spiritual friendships, fellowship, sangha. So in that uh, way, the Buddha says community, 100% uh, of our practice. Of course, like I said before, he says that about a lot of stuff, right? He says... 
Vipassana is the most direct way to enlightenment, but he says the same thing about metta. Right? He says spiritual friendship is the uh, 100% of the spiritual life. But then he would also say the same thing about uh, refuge in the Buddha or refuge in the Dharma. Refuge in the Sangha, going to community, to friendships. Uh, in one way, it could be seen as one, a third, one of the three jewels. Because we also have to remember, as I said earlier, uh, that we're not seeking external refuge that we know that what we're seeking is inside of ourselves. But it's good to have uh, association with other people that also know that, that also are seeking the Dharma, the truth, from their own true nature. Or also in the process of recovering that which has been lost. So far this week, we've done some good work, some important practice. We started with taking off the masks a bit and getting honest and, and talking about uh, our path, our story, and what led us here, what it was like and what happened. And we spent some time writing about what we're holding on to, what's manifesting. I'm throwing around this term Mara a lot. I hope you know that I'm just talking about the mind. What our minds and bodies and even our hearts sometimes are conditioning. Some biological, impersonal, some very personal from our psychological conditioning in this lifetime, from our poor parenting. That's not to be, you know, I don't want to spiritualize away the truth of the grief that we hold from not feeling seen and appropriately cared for by our parents. That's big. That's in us too or other heartbreaks, or betrayals. And what has uh, been so clear and, and came clear as we shared it, and as we've spoken in the large group and also in those small groups, how much, how often, and how painfully often uh, we feel it is ourselves that have betrayed us the most. how we have, in so many ways, become our own worst enemy. Right? Because we take Mara to be self, to be personal. The mind, that ego, that confusion. And so we had this process also of, of sharing our... Truths.
in the 12-step process. You do a fourth step. You write it all down, and you share it. And then you do a daily 10th step for the rest of your life. Right? It's not you do one inventory and then you're done. We continue to take personal inventory. We can, and, and when we're wrong, promptly admitting it. In Buddhism, at least once a month, the monastics... The Buddha encouraged, get together and admit your faults to each other. Right? Same thing. Promptly admit it. So we have this uh, tool, all these tools, right? And in order to do this, we do have to find some people that are safe and trustworthy and to be able to open to and, and have these admission ceremonies and these sharings. And for some of us in, in our modern American culture, it is this sort of retreat environment where we get together regularly, once a year, twice a year, as, as often as possible. Some of you have spiritual communities that you can do that with weekly. Some of you don't. But so important. In a lot of ways, when we did our inventories and, and shared them, it was the sort of sixth and seventh step. That's what we see in Mara's manifestation of greed, hatred, and delusion. We see the what is called shortcomings or defects. We see the hindrances. We see the stuff that is blocking us. It's causing our suffering. Going forward from here, continued to seek, continuing to take inventory, continuing to sit under our own personal Bodhi tree and to meet Mara on a daily basis with as much compassion as we can muster. Maybe you know for yourself already some of these tools you, you see where, where we've been imbalanced. Oh, I need to do more loving kindness. That's what's been somewhat missing. Right. Oh, I need to do this forgiveness practice. That's where I'm a bit stuck. Oh, more mindfulness, more present time awareness, more consciousness about what I'm consuming and how it makes me feel. More discipline, or maybe I need to relax. I need to lighten up a little bit. Right? There's not one right answer for all of us. There is skillful means 
for each of us, as I was saying this morning, about uh, this empowerment, doing as you see fit. I totally believe you know what you need. I totally believe you know what your work is, as I know what my work is. You've been paying attention to your heart and mind uh, for the last four or five days in this monastery. You've seen it, right? You've been face to face with suffering and the cause of suffering and moments and experiences, hopefully, of joy and the causes and conditions for joy. So as we begin to think about and head back into the uh, integration into our daily lives, It's important to know that it's uh, one day at a time. That it's every day. That's so much uh, smaller than a whole day, right? It's one moment at a time. It's one breath at a time. It's one footstep at a time. It's one conversation at a time. It's one meal, one bite. But that it's a continued practice that really we don't get to we don't get to rest on the experience that you had on this retreat. You have to continue to practice tomorrow when you have to deal with your friends and family. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day. Have to continue our practice. And as the twelfth, you know, that's the eleventh step, continuing to seek through our spiritual practices, prayer, meditation. Continual, ongoing effort. As the Buddha said before he died, work hard. Strive forward with diligence. His words are translated as. Be diligent. Be uh, wiriya in Buddhism, this word effort or energy. Uh, when he talks about the effort into spiritual life, wiriya translates as uh, energetic vigor. Vigorous energy. And us, you know, really reflecting. It depends again on our intention, on our motivation, what you want to get out of. But, but my feeling is if you want to have a spiritual awakening, it's going to be a lot of hard work. And even if you've already had some spiritual awakenings, to maintain that awakened state, to not go back to sleep, to not plug back into the matrix. Continued hard work against the stream, against greed, against hatred, against delusion, 
And the Buddha promises and the 12 steps promise. And I promise. And you promise. And that if we do this work, if we follow these practices and this path, that it will uh, culminate in a spiritual awakening. Whether we call that spiritual awakening Nibbana, liberation, the extinguishing of suffering. Or it's more like, and I think we're going to read tonight, the 12-step perspective of a radical shift in our attitude and outlook upon life. transformation of how we see the world, how we see ourselves, of how we see each other, a change in perception, in perspective. And as we do this, and as this transformation happens, and in the process of this transformation happening, the importance of service the importance, the necessity of generosity being an aspect of our spiritual life. Having had an awakening, we share this with other people who are suffering. Maybe those, and there's something I think incredibly wise to serving and those who have the same kind of experiences that we do. Alcoholics helping alcoholics, eating uh, disorders helping people with eating disorders. Uh, you know, this kind of, your, there's nobody that you can help better than someone uh, if you've been through it. Of course, there's something so wise to that. Of course, the Buddha uh, takes a bigger uh, kind of perspective where he says, wait, we're all in this together. And uh, if you're human <laughs> and you've been suffering, from the human afflictions of, of a mind and body, then you can help all other, and not even humans, beings. Right? The Buddhist 12 step is uh, continued to carry this message to all sentient beings, to practice these principles in all aspects of our lives, and to not only serve the addicts and alcoholics that are like us, but knowing that all people are like us. We're not different. We're not separate. We're not so special after all. The work that we do on ourselves definitely benefits others. I know you already know this. Not even being of service, just um, harm reduction. The world is a safer place because you're sober. <laughs> right? You're already part of the solution. You're already helping to end suffering in this world by not causing so much of it. So as we go forward, and you know, the retreat's not over. We're going to do that tomorrow. 
but just for now as we reflect on going into our lives, I think it's quite good to um, have a plan and a really strong uh, intention and a specific intention for our life's energy. The first factor of the Eightfold Path, uh, the Buddha says, we have to un write understanding. Understand what's going on in this world. Understand uh, the importance of kindness, the importance of forgiveness, the importance of compassion. <laughs> Understand impermanence. Understand the causes of suffering. Understand that you're not this mind and body. With these wise understandings, we have to have the right plan, <coughs> the right intention, the right aim or goal. Just knowing it isn't enough. We have to align. We have to make sure we are pointed in the right direction. Please find the person that you shared your story with on the first day. Are they here? Get together with your partner. Don't leave the room. You can spread out within the room. Yeah. Yeah, you can turn it. You can turn it off. Yeah. 